the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let us pray. Lord, I pray and I ask that the sermon prepared based upon this text and other incarnational ideas would be a blessing to us as a church and would be wholly embraced in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in the text, we have a picture of father and mother with child. The father, of course, is God, and the mother is Mary. Mother Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes But this firstborn has already been wrapped by God the Father into a human body. Imagine, long before we were created, before we had need of a Savior from sin, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed as one. Long before we were created, before we had need of a Savior, God was love. The Father loved the Son continually, perfectly. The Father still loves with unyielding perfection. And the Son responds as a good Son should with unstoppable love, the perfect Son. The Holy Spirit also loves Father and Son, and likewise, long before everything else, this is the case. Eternity. As for fallen man, oh, the time has come. Caesar issues a decree, all people must register throughout my kingdom. That sounds pretty tyrannical. So Joseph, the earthly head of his household, takes Mary, goes to Bethlehem to register. Yes, very soon, tonight into tomorrow, God's son will be placed at the breast of his mother, Tranquility. I shared last time about how John the Baptist got all excited in his mother, Elizabeth, when pregnant Mary arrived in their house carrying Jesus inside of her. And I quoted how John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And so when those two pregnant women had come together, Little John leapt for joy as he came into proximity 
with Jesus. And as I listened afterward, which I eh, often do, I could not help but marvel at how John was animated by the Holy Spirit. Surely John danced around inside of his mom because of the relationship of the Godhead that was going on and has for eternity and still does. Here in Elizabeth, love was shown by God the Holy Spirit in John to God the Son in Mary. Love. Theirs is an eternal love. I compared it to how I feel when my wife appears. Said this in the past. Out of the ordinary at work. In my day. I'm at the office working, putting in time on the phone, maybe take, talking business, sitting in front of my computer, etc. And then Tracy comes into the building, I hear her voice. And it's great. She's talking to whomever, and then she always stops into the doorway of my office, and I see her sm smiling face, or maybe it's not always smiling, but I see her face. It makes me smile. My heart smiles. And then we're obligated. I don't know when the obligation started, but we're obligated, leaving or, or coming together. We always give each other a kiss. See you later. Hello. I know for some of you, that seems a little odd. I even hug and kiss my children, usually coming and going, although my oldest doesn't really allow for it. He gets kind of freaked out by it. I don't know when that started. He was fine until about 13, I think. But this thing with Tracy, I, I believe this is what was happening a little bit between the two women and what was inside of them. They're two babies. It was mostly Holy Spirit glad to be able to love the Son. You know, before the Father swaddled His Son in human flesh, there was a distance, legitimate distance between God and us. Not a physical distance. Don't, don't make that mistake. It's not a distance. It's not a proximity distance. For God is always near. Whisper close, near. But it's, it was more of a relational distance. A parental detachment, someone might call it today. But it, it's a detachment that's our fault, not his. There was, before Jesus came, an impenetrable veil that separated mankind from the divine. In fact, it would be correct to say that God the Father sent his Son in order that we might be reattached to him that the veil would be removed. It is wonderful that God the Father so loves us 
that he was willing to sacrifice to remove forever that veiled relationship separator. The prophet Isaiah said that this son born to the virgin would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Because before Jesus' coming, God was not with us in the same way. Emmanuel. You can understand, therefore, how later in Jesus' ministry, one of his disciples would ask, Are you going to leave us as orphans? Can you imagine the fear in that? Are you going to leave us as orphans? God with us is wonderful. But what would it be like if he were to take himself away again? This is what Jesus said in reply. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Adoption. And a little later, Jesus in the conversation said, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Look, Jesus wanted us to understand. Once God comes near, he does not leave or forsake. Once he comes near, he does not leave or forsake. He loves us and does not dangle his love precariously like you would toy with a cat and a string. Nor is he a harsh deity that takes his love away every time his child does wrong. The triune God always intended for people to love him. Always. All people. And then secondly, to love each other. Secondly. But because of man's sin and cold-heartedness toward God, our original purpose was squandered. As a result, this veil of separation was established to distance us from him. But now it's different. It's different for those who call upon him. God has come near. He is with us. Now the veil gets removed. Now the veil gets removed completely. He has come close to stay close. Near to you and me. Christian, God is with you to love and to be loved. Peace. He never goes away. Okay, so you're maybe thinking, and I'd I'd be thinking this if I'm hearing this on a cold Sunday morning or a mild Sunday morning, first sitting in the pew. 
You may be thinking, yeah, yes, I get what he's saying. That's Bible stuff, yeah, but I don't really feel him near me. I, I don't really always have that sense, right, that he's intimate with me, that I can be intimate with him. I feel a little bit like a cold marble just rolling around in life. That needs work. That's what we're here to be working, working on. For he never goes away. He has nowhere to go. He stays with those who trust him. He loves you. He wants your love for him to increase. You don't just learn of him, learn of his forgiveness for your sins, and then pray once in a while and learn once in a while in in a cold, detached way. It just starts when he saves you. There is so much about him to get to know. He calms fears. He gives strength. He, he knows you through and through, inside out. He is mighty God, and he's on your side. He, he is not stingy with his love. Certainly, if there is a problem, if there is a problem between you and Jesus, it's a human problem. Mankind has a penchant for sinning. Penchant, what's a penchant? Penchant is a, a strong inclination or, or liking of a thing. When We have a, a penchant for sin. Which is, of course, unacceptable, and he'll help us with that too. And so even though God has come near, not all people want him near, really. Not always. Non-believers, we get that. Certainly, they don't want him near, right? However, sometimes even Christians in the church would just as soon he kept his distance. That whole idea of a veil between us and God, we don't always despise that. We kind of wish we could control something like that. In our minds, we picture him, in order to deal with this nearness that we don't want, if that's the case, in our minds we picture him off in heaven. And imagine this means he's not with us. He's kind of way out there. Yeah, he's aware, but he's away. I tell you, that's not biblical Christianity to think that way. It smells a little like deism's clock winding God. For Jesus, he told us, what did he tell us? I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. Why would you not want him right here? Maybe your problem is intellectual. You've got theological mistakes in your head. But usually the problem isn't that. Usually the problem is we want to do things 
and figure things out on our own. Unencumbered by someone else. Someone else telling me how I got to live my life. Someone else getting in the way when I want to do certain things. The problem is that we, we sin. When we sin, we feel guilty. It's built that way. That's a good thing, actually. But the more we repeat the sin, the worse the guilt becomes. If it were a one-off sin, okay, we do sin, we're sinners, and there are going to be these moments. If it's a one-off sin, we confess it to God, ask God to grant us repentance, and we move on with him. That's one thing. However, anyone who is incessant with sin and harbors it, harbors it in his or her life, that person invites the consequence of it into his or her lap. The consequences are guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. A guilty person rightfully expects punishment rightfully, in the form of discipline for the Christian. And if you encounter punishment, it could be that your sin is exposed now to others. Oh, that would be the worst. We would be embarrassed. And we'd feel then very ashamed. But if we were embarrassed by what people would think of our sin, we are one huge step too late. We should be ashamed before that. We should be ashamed before the one who is lover of our souls. The non-Christian, he's often brazen about sin but not so with the Christian who's caught up in it. For the Christian is supposed to be what? Walking with God. Emmanuel. But instead, they desire distance, room to sin, guiltless space. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. You're fooling yourself. And so, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Friend, God, God is not pleased when you go wayward. Doesn't mean he stops loving you. He's not pleased. And it's because of his love he needs to deal with that. For, for non-believers, God is not near them at all yet. That veil remains. Their love for him is still absent. But for you and me, he's here now. No veil. Ask him for help immediately. Be sincere. Tell him how you don't even know if you want to stop the thing. You don't even know if you want him to take away the secret idol of, of sin. For you love it so much. Ask him. Ask him to work in you because you know 
Oh, you know, you, you do no good without him. Think about it this way. If Jesus was visibly in the room with you, would you do the act or say the thing he disproves of? Well, he is in the room. Always. You just can't see him with your physical eyes. Don't fool yourself. He's in the room even of your innermost chamber. He's familiar even with your thoughts. You should treasure that. That's good for us. So I've been reading a lot of St. Augustine lately. You don't read a lot of St. Augustine because you've got to read it so slowly and you've got to read it over and over again. So I've been reading some St. Augustine lately. And he talks of three loves. Listen to this. He says that we can have, and it's not the three loves you always hear about Greek words and stuff. He says that we can have one Poisonous love, poisonous love, for which Augustine blames covetousness. He calls it poisonous love. It's not, it's not appropriate, right? It's when we have things and want badly to hold on tightly to those things, whatever the things may be. It's improper love. And the only way for this poisonous love to be eradicated is to lessen it, to make less of it in your life. Little by little, by what Augustine calls a two, nourishing or perfecting love. This is like the middle love. It's a nourishing or perfecting love. So you got poisonous love, got to get away from that, completely bad to nourishing and perfecting love is taking you somewhere, right? The goal of nourishing and perfecting love is the third love, perfect love. It's a holy love rooted in God, completely devoid of covetousness, completely letting go of those things that you keep clinging to you shouldn't. There is, in perfect love, there is no poisonous love remaining. And if I've understood Augustine correctly, then most men, right, throughout their lives, only ever experience poisonous love. They're, they're apart from Christ. They're just experiencing poisonous love. They're things they really love and have affection for and want. But it's all impure. And the Christian, you and I, right, we live Christian lives learning how to love properly to rid ourselves of poisonous love and continue on the course toward perfect love. So we're doing this whole daily, daily nourishing love. That's, that's the realm we find ourselves in. I say all that to come back to my point. Christian, if God is with us, then we should not harbor sin as our secret idol. We should love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lean hard into that second, that nourishing love to bring you closer to perfect love. 
I always remember the scene where Scrooge sees the ghost of Christmas present, that big jolly one, that festive one, the happy one. And the reason I remember it is because what that spirit says to Scrooge, he says, come, know me better, man. Come, know me better, man. That is life's purpose, right? To know God better for who he is. The wonderful marvelous depths of the one who is always near, always with us, to be loved. For the non-Christian, the veil that separates them from God is the veil of their own choosing, not just God's. It goes along with what Jesus said in John three nineteen and 20. He told Nicodemus, and this is the judgment The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. They want to stay on the other side of the veil. So some are still separated from God, though they need not be. They need not be. And this is because men prefer darkness to the light because their deeds are evil, Jesus said like a rat, scurrying into a hole when light gets turned on. Does that sound harsh? It may sound harsh to accuse non-Christian people of hating the light because they do evil. It may sound harsh. But if you just substituted one word, the word evil, with the word selfish, then it makes perfect sense to us, because we would never want to be called evil, but selfish... We get it. That's, that's, that's the problem. Christian, the Apostle Paul admonished the Ephesian church. He said, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians four seventeen through 24. So we Christians are to no longer, as Augustine might say, Love poisonously. We know it is always an individual selfishness that makes them want to avoid the light. Lest the light of the triune God whose love is full and eternal. Lest the light of the triune God should enter in and they lose the things they've been clinging to. 
I've done it. Perhaps I'll do it again. Such a person prefers anything at all as their religious alternative. Hear this. A religious alternative to walking and actually walking and talking in relationship to God. There are religious alternatives that we take. I've known some who it seems like they'd rather have a a godly close friend that they could go to and talk to and get advice from and confess their sins to than an ongoing transparency with God, as if somehow that person, right, that godly friend could be their go-between with God. They could be on this side of the veil holding hands with that godly person, let let that person talk to God. Keep him on the other side of your friend or something. It's not to say you shouldn't have godly friends that you talk to and confess to and get advice from. Just don't miss the big picture here. And so I warn the Christian who wants to remain at arm's length away from God that there is no Bible study, no doctrinal preciseness, no incremental giving, no daily booklet reading, no regimented church attendance or giving up of things like food and drink and sex and whatever else people give up. None of that will take the place of real inner prayer, communion with the Father and His Son by the Holy Spirit inside of you. You benefit when you turn to Him and and relinquish control when you give up your secret, sinful idols. Those idols can include your own children, your spouse, a best friend. It's just not obvious, blatant sin. And I I know you fear giving up what you've learned to love, but your, your fear is baseless. For God with you is holy your gain. Holy. Okay, yes, it does desire you die to self. To gain life, God with you means we lose the other life, the wrong one. But remember what Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So to the unrepentant, you should consider this death death to self as a woman views childbirth. Though she might fear the pain of the delivery, she's willing to bear it for the exceeding joy of holding and loving her newborn baby. Congregant, if your daily walk in life is not intentionally with God, then you need to work at it. Work at it. Or you will at some point need to stop calling yourself Christian for As C.S. Lewis rightly warns, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. I suggest to you that it is so wonderful and joyful to enter into the love of God. It is so wonderful and joyful because we get him always with us, loving us. 
And the beauty of this new and different life is now that we get to learn to progressively love him back. This is that perfecting love. And frankly, as I said, this is what man was made to do in the first place. The Holy Spirit who danced excitedly inside John the Baptist in utero is the same Holy Spirit that wishes to dance toward God in every one of his sons and daughters. You and me. God swaddled his son in human flesh in order to come near and stay with his people. You mustn't miss this. And and we all must practice his presence. No more poison love, just nourishing love on the way to perfect love for the God who is with us. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would use these words to benefit your people and that your Holy Spirit, who is in each of your sons and daughters, would work a work of lasting truth, of growth and maturity, of repentance where necessary, of the putting away of idols or whatever else you deem necessary. May we receive that and walk with you.